from Las Vegas, broadcasting around the world. You're listening to Up is Higher Than Down with L.A. Walker, a podcast filled with raw and unfiltered conversations on how to give life's challenges the finger. Truth is your passport to emotional freedom. Give an eviction notice to negativity. Dump yesterday's garbage. Learn how to be positive, energized, healthy, and alive during these insanely unpredictable times. Look up, get up, stay up, then help somebody else to get up. Remember, any part of up is higher than down. Broadcasting hope to the world. This is L.A. Walker. Look up, get up, stay up. Hey, that is a mental and spiritual exercise. Each day, we are given life. And each day, because of that gift, it is our obligation, our duty, and actually should be your joy to live it because living is the best job we've ever had and we're not going to get a better job. This is it. You remember the old exercise routines where the nice toned bodied person would come on the television for about 10 minutes. Some of them um, did actual full bodied exercises and then some of the exercises were strictly from the chair for those persons who had some physical uh, disabilities or just aged and and old and can't move everything um, about as you could when you were young. Uh, and, and so these individuals, you know, the, they lead you through the exercise motion, and it seems so easy. And the first couple of exercises, you, you go along with it. Now, stretch your body out, and we're going to do this on the count of three. Are you ready? And you do that exercise, and you sail through it. And you get to the next one, you sail through it. You get to the next one, you sail through it. And then they do one that you cannot do. And that is simply the same as what happens when I say, look up, get up, stay up. And you say, I cannot do it after my mom has died. I can't do it after I've lost my job. I can't do it when I've broken up with my companion. I can't do it when my kid is put in jail. Looking up is a choice, but we must choose it. And that's not always easy. And I'm not trying to imply that it is. It is not always easy. Sometimes it's so tough, you just have tears in your eyes, peeling them back, forcing them to look up. You and I are the direct beneficiaries of the benefits of making the choice to look up as opposed to allowing circumstances to drag us down where we can't even look up, which means we have no hope, which means we cannot see ourselves coming out of this situation at any point. Initiating and mastering that one, that one action of looking up allows us to stand on that hope and get up. I have viewed my situation. I've walked around it. I've, I've, I've viewed it inside and out. I've gone underneath it. And I realize that I have a choice. I can either look up or look down. Which action will bring me more peace? Which action is better for my mental and physical health? Which action will allow me to be a better partner? 
Which action will permit me to be a better community leader, business leader, a friend, a parent? Which one? We are being bombarded with problems in every conceivable sense of the word, everywhere you look. Political problems, racial problems, health problems, um, social, just a social crisis from so many aspects. And then our own personal preferences, the homes that we have built, the people that we have chosen to live with, the children that we have produced, the educational systems that we've allowed to exist. A lot of problems we will never live to see a resolution to. This is not going to happen because there are too many. Are we going to allow those problems to kill us, rob us, where we don't have that feeling like we're living and like life is enjoyable and life is worth it? It's really up to who? Us. One of the major stumbling blocks to our being able to look up, get up, and stay up is our relentless need to compare our lives today to our lives on yesterday. Let's do it this way. Suppose you were driving on a highway, you were on your way from Chicago to New York, and you missed a very important exit. You realize that you've missed this exit maybe 100, 200 miles down the way, and you have to turn around and you go back. And when you go back, you see the exit you should have taken, and then you get on it. But suppose you go back, you don't get on that exit, and you decide to just sit there in the middle of the highway and ponder and ponder and ponder. Guess what? First of all, not only are you blocking yourself from going, but you're blocking hundreds of people behind you from being able to move forward. Yes, sometimes we must look back to get back on the right track, but we're not supposed to stay there looking back. And that is what many of us are doing right now. And that is why we're so unhappy. We're so depressed. We're so miserable. This is the worst time that has ever happened. Instead of being able to create the world in which we want to live in right now. How many times, because I've said it myself, but how many times have we said, I have so many things on my mind. Just just so many things on my mind. And then we rehearse everything that's going on in the entire universe. <laughs> we talk about the presidency. We talk about our finances. We talk about the pandemic. We talk about a gun shooting. We talk about Black Lives Matter. We talk about LGBTQ rights. We talk about gender rights. We talk about sexual orientation. We talk about redlining. We talk, we talk, we talk, we talk. We talk. What we don't seem to talk about is something that we should visit in conversation, and that is how sneaky depression can be, how depression can come upon us, sneak up on us, begin to rob us and drain us, and if we are not aware, will implode our lives. My guest today is Jacint Wamala, a licensed family and marriage therapist who's filled with a lot of personality and lives the life that she talks about. Stay there. We'll be right back after this. Hi guys, uh, this is Tin. Listen, I don't know if you have uh, been able to make your way over to lawalker.life on Facebook, but if you haven't, do yourself a favor. Run over there and just read 
the snippets of her new book. She's writing a new book and it is titled Seeing Beyond the Mess. I love it. Um, a lot of the things that she wrote spoke to me personally. So many things, even her topic of speaking on her her partner that's, that was battling dementia. My mother, the love of my life, the love of my heart is deep in a battle of dementia. And so it's just like just so many things that she spoke on reached me grabbed me and pulled me in and if you're not first in line to get your book <laughs> when this book drops if you're not first in line you better be second in line because yeah it's wonderful it, it, it is absolutely wonderful it is you're listening to up is higher than down with la walker with me today is Jacinth Wamala, a licensed family and marriage therapist. Jacinth, tell us some of the many things that you're presently doing to enrich the lives of others. I have a private practice where I work mostly, specifically with women of color, the majority of which are black women, on anxiety, depression, trauma recovery, and life, because life is hard. Um, and I've been practicing since 2014. I also have taught at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas for five years, different courses such as personal growth and development, multicultural issues and families, contemporary couples and families, and trained the clinicians in the graduate program um, at UNLV. And so essentially, um, yeah, I've spent a lot of time studying mental health and wellness and working with people, coaching, counseling, uh, as well as um, doing research and just seeking to support people the best way that I know how. Um, so that's, that's my, my background. That's uh, awesome. That's a lot. And what she failed to tell you is that she also does acting and singing and dancing on the side. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I wear a lot of hats. Jacint, honestly, have you ever experienced a time such as this where we seem to have not only a viral pandemic, but a political pandemic? <laughs> you name it, just the list goes on and on. It's unprecedented, at least for me personally. Uh, you know, I think that for a lot of people, they've never experienced this level of whatever stress, frustration oppression, you know, sadness, anger, confusion, you know, all things, you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I think do. that this is unprecedented in so many ways for people um, on, on a lot of levels because it's not just, you know, what's happening in our communities and what's happening politically and culturally. Uh, it's also that on top of everything that's happening, we also have our individual personal lives. So dealing with loss, dealing with... Um, you know, your own body, your medical, your mental, um, it's just a lot to deal with. It's, this is, this is quite a bit. I think that people are doing the best that they can, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's pretty much it, but we need tools. We need help. So the best that we can, um, without tools, without instruction, without some suggestions, it's not working. I mean, we, we reach a point, let, let me do this. I have some very positive people around me to whom have been my go-to people when I'm not so positive and I need a boost up. But I'm telling you, my people that I go to are cracking. <laughs> They're like, you know, searching for survival. 
So um, we need help. Yeah, more than ever, it, it, we all need to um, start onboarding new coping skills as, as quickly as we can and understand uh, where to be able to tap in to get support and, and feedback that we need um, to maneuver in our situation so as to handle things the best that we possibly can right now. I think that... Um, like you mentioned, like everybody is feeling the effects of this. No one is exempt. You know what I mean? Right. So what's been different as a, as a clinician is that you, clients will come in and they'll be dealing with their life circumstances. And sometimes they'll be parallel or be something you've been through or experienced. Um, and they may or may not know that because they don't know your whole life. But right. this year, because everyone is experiencing all of the same things, it's therapy has been different because they come in and we look at each other and we just know, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, you know how's, how's it going? You know, so what's going on this week? Because there's a, there's a conscious understanding of having the same experience to some extent. Our personal lives are different, but we know that we're both living through a pandemic. We know we're both quarantining. We know we're both dealing with the political climate. Um, and I think that with the time that we're in, we need to also exercise a greater level of self-compassion, uh, forgiveness, grace, oh, yes. and then we can exercise that with others as well because our people may not be able to support us the way that we're used to. And that could be something that offends us or makes us mad right. or right. sad right. depending on how they say or exhibit that behavior because they may go off on you or they may snap or something because maybe this is the first time they're dealing with it <laughs> right. so they don't know they don't know how to manage it or they're not used to it so then we're like wait our relationship is changing what's going on here so i think um practicing you know that forgiveness grace and compassion for ourselves so that we can extend it to other people understanding that um, we're all experiencing new levels of distress can be really you know a key and a step in the right direction. It's just, you know, wild times. Wild times. <laughs> how are you these days? It's like, I don't, I'm like, how do you, how do you revamp that? You know, like, how are you in this moment? How are you right now? <laughs> you know, um, it, it's just a very interesting time. I've never been more speechless in my life, to be honest. Uh, I, I find myself in the same position. And funny that you should say what you did because I was talking to my attorney um, about a month ago. And of course, he, he addressed himself to the issue that was at hand. But as soon as he ended that, he went like, damn. He said, I have never seen life like this. He says, I'm talking to clients and you know they're coming in and, and we, at the end of the conversation, we're passing tissue. You know, it's like, we, we, it's like I don't know how to handle all this. And then we began to share our individual experiences. And it was just amazing. But it was really good because I never had that kind of conversation with an attorney before. Because, you know, they put up such a wall to stay behind, you know, to, to give you that professional front. But um, the man was just as broken as I was. He was like, yep. This is awful. And and I enjoyed the conversation with him. And I think we both benefited from exchanging. But I need you to help me to understand and help our audience understand what are some of the signs of situational slash reactive depression? So uh, situational depression is going to look, it could look different for each person, if that makes some sense. Because sometimes um, it can go one of 
it can go one way or the other. So um, anything with that would indicate a serious change or a significant change within you would make sense. So feeling sad or hopeless when maybe typically you don't, um, tearfulness, frequent crying, changes in your appetite, whether it's uh, excessive eating or um, not eating at all or the way that you used to, sleep issues, um, worry, worrying more um, Mm. than you're used to because obviously anxiety is about being stuck in a future that doesn't look good, you know, like predicting something bad is going to happen and then being stuck in that place unable to come back to the moment. So everything that's going on right now, of course, is going to increase um, a worry of whatever is to come. Sure. So somatic symptoms, so like headaches, stomach aches, um, lower energy levels, and fatigue. So I think that um, people, I think right now specifically, a lot of people are experiencing more and more fatigue because now it's like we've been racing for months and we're starting to get tired, <laughs> you know? Yes. So um, that would be one of those things that if someone is more um, tired than they usually are, that would make sense. Um, more frustrated, more irritable, withdrawal from other people. Like if you want to isolate or you're not really trying to talk to people, you don't really feel like maybe you want to, you know, hang out if you're doing that or or see or talk to anyone that would make sense. Um, difficulty concentrating. So I'm hearing a lot right now, along with the fatigue, that people are having more trouble staying focused on tasks or yes. at work. Decision-making is, is getting tougher. And uh, those, I think, would be the main signs that something's going on. When does it flip from... Uh, situational reactive depression to clinical depression? Well, that is tough to say for me to say because we are in this situation and have been for some time now and the effects of this may last. So I think that, but if, if it's based on the situation being what it is, then can we not say that it's situational if it lasts for a year or two years because the situation is lasting for a year or two Ah. years? Um, So the thing is that if it's situational, it's because of a trigger. There's a response or there's a stimulus to kind of catapult the, the depression being in existence. Now, if the situations change, right, let's say life turns into whatever it's supposed to look like after whatever it is right now, okay? Um, <laughs> and and things are different. So circumstances such as work um, are otherwise proved, quote-unquote. Uh, financial circumstances, mental, emotional circumstances are, quote-unquote, improved, right? Um, and someone is still experiencing the depressive symptoms. Then someone might say, this is now clinical depression because it's not tied to or connected to a specific stressor. However, how can we not argue that it's not the lingering effect of what happened? Because okay. things like grief, you know what I mean? Grief doesn't go away overnight. It That's something certainly that doesn't. You, you move and it, it's a part of you. Like you, can, you continue life, but now it's a part of how you live. So I think that... I personally, as a clinician, you're going to get a different answer from a different person. Um, (laughs) I personally feel like it's tough to not 
recognize the connection from the stimulus or the stressor to somebody's response. And if someone is still grieving a year, five, 10, 20 years, 60 years later, I feel like we should have compassion to understand why that might be the case. And that all the things that are continuing to happen that they're struggling with are connected to this specific thing. So I think maybe I'm not the best person to talk to about that. <laughs> and link like, hey, you know, this is that thing that's still making this person depressed. <laughs> Clinical depression, well, if they're unable to continue to function and things like that, I guess it would be after other things have overwhelmingly changed and a person is still struggling. But I also maybe feel like it could be argued. Okay, so so we're all dealing with the stress from the pandemic, and then all of a sudden something happens where your loved one dies. And so, you know, you're already trying to figure out um, how to pay your bills, um, how to make an income when there is none, and, and then, you know, the loss of a loved one is just such a, a shock and a shatter to your world. I mean, how, do, how what, what are some tips to cope with that? Uh, I'm African, so... To me, I think collectivity and community is the answer to a lot of um, life's challenges and the problems that we face in the world because I think division um, creates like a me versus you type mentality and that isolates people. So I think that having support, whatever that looks like, if it's support online, whether it's a group, if it's a therapist, if it's uh, you know, your friends and family, if it's having multiple places where you can tap in and get support, if it's a podcast, if it's a book, if it's with your dog, you know, like, it, 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 I think that it can it can look different for different people. But I think collectivity is really key. I personally and my family have lost two family members within maybe the last month. And we had oh, another wow. major loss over the summer. And it is it is earth shattering. It's a I can't I mean, I, it's almost tough for me to talk about because it makes me so emotional at this point that it's like I, you, you really have trouble wrapping your brain completely around the whole process and what's happening. Um, but the thing that makes it survivable, I guess, is the, the collectivity piece, right? So, you know, it, being able to sit with family or being able to talk to somebody, you know, when need be. Um, and then having the time to yourself also, because, I mean, when my father passed away, I was gone for the week, and that was actually my first solo trip. It did, I don't know how it worked out that way, but, you know, I was able to have my time by myself while I was still connected to my community, came home, and still had that support system. So I think it's really finding the balance between um, meeting your needs and understanding what you need at the moment and how to also um, be, allow yourself to be supported by other people. Because sometimes I think people don't want to lean on or rely on others you know if you're the strong friend if you're the strong person you know quote unquote that it's tough when it's you that Boy, needs support you sure hit that on my head yeah <laughs> <laughs> i'm experiencing that right now um but i will say that i am very very blessed and grateful that i have the community support um that i need in the way that i need it um i'm an introvert extrovert and I am that person, as you mentioned, um, that has been that strong person. And so I'm not likely to uh, enjoy or find relief in just leaning on someone. And um, <clears throat> fortunately, the people that are around me now are of similar patterns in their lives. They don't want to lean on anyone anyway, either. So they're, they're very comforting. 
I uh, have a friend of mine, however, that just lost her spouse uh, maybe two months ago. And I reach out to her now and then, and she said to me, she said, you know, I just cannot get any air because all of the people that have known them just keep calling and taking her places and wanting to do things. And she needs that me time that we, that we just spoke of. And she's not able to get that. And that is extremely important, you know, to be able to sit with yourself and have the conversation and ask yourself, okay, how am I doing? How do I really feel? And experience those moments of look backs, those memories that will cause you to cry. You know, they will, they will make you just go sit down or lie down for a moment. Um, but that, I think that's important. And I don't think we can get away from that. You know, I... I was with my spouse for 30 years. Just how am I going to forget that? How, well, how would I forget a Thanksgiving or a Christmas or a birthday? Um, yeah. So it's tough. It's tough because it's a you're, it's, everyone's just trying to keep the plate spinning for one, and then on top of keeping the plate spinning, you're also it's like you're doing a balancing act while you're trying to keep the plate spinning <laughs> on one toe. You're trying to balance your whole body, plus keep the plate spinning 10, you know, 10 plates with one for each finger um, and balancing uh, alone versus connection and your own processing versus collective processing, right? Because it's also when we when we have losses, it's our loss, but it's also other people's loss. So yes. they want to grieve with us. Yes. Or they want to be a part of our process. Which is natural, but how do we find? How do we strike that balance between being able to know what we need and asking for that need to be met, right. as well as you know being a part of a collective? Um, it's just it really, it really, 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 really is challenging. It is so. I'm just. I, that's why I'm like anybody who like has gotten out of bed today. Hallelujah for you. I know, right? Anybody, anybody <laughs> who has gotten out of bed today, more power you like whatever it is that you're doing the fact that you are yeah you're here and that's just enough like there's nothing else no one has to no one has to do or be anything other than who they are in that moment for us to be able to say like you're valuable and you're worthwhile and you're figuring it out um one step at a time it's just a lot to manage and yeah you have to have those times where you give yourself the space to feel whatever comes up. And I think it's tough for people who maybe haven't had certain types of losses to understand that right. because they they don't get it. They, they, they've never had the experience, so they don't understand what that might look like. And it's not that, you know, you wish them to understand that type of pain, but I think that when we start trying to communicate our needs with people that don't fully understand our perspective or where we're coming from, that that can make things a little hairy too. But again, that, that grace and compassion for ourselves and for others, I think makes those interactions smoother, but it's just, we're all experiencing loss on a lot of different levels. Yes. Um, and it's, it, it's, it's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and it's so funny that you use that term because I end almost every paragraph with that. It's a lot. And it's a lot. It, it's a lot. So uh, you touched upon two things that one, that are both are very interesting to me. While we are anxious to help someone who's grieving so, uh, over whatever the loss might be, people sometimes have a tendency to think that their what limited reading they've done or limited experiences they've had 
empowers them to give advice that is universal. You know, it works for everybody in every situation. And I think um, because of social media exchanges, that becomes very problematic because a lot of times you might post how you really feel about something and you get all of these quick fixes and people become insulted when you, you know, you, you buck against it or you share a different viewpoint. Example of that, um, I had, uh, as, soon as, as soon as Terry passed, I had a lot of people reach out to me, thank God for them. I had some people reach out, however, that were telling me, you know, it takes time, it does this, it does that. But some of the people that were reaching out to me have never lost their spouse. You, you get it? And so, uh, and so I have buried my entire family. The other thing ab- about that is that, you know, I am of an age that says, well, how much time do you think I really have? <laughs> you know what I mean? So, uh, before I forget, because I certainly will, how many times have you heard a podcast and so many thoughts and questions come to your mind later? Um, like this one. Yeah. Sometimes we're busy. We're preoccupied when the podcast is playing. And later you think, I wish I had said, or I should have asked. Well, now you can. Join us on Facebook, Up is Higher Than Down, for the After Effect, a podcast recap with Tanika Morley, known as 10. Share your thoughts. Ask questions. Can't wait to hear from you. Thanks. You're listening to Up is Higher Than Down with L.A. Walker. I'm continuing my conversation with licensed marriage therapist Jacint Wamala, and what a joy it is. We have to recognize excuse me, that we don't live in a grief-sensitive society where when someone passes away, no matter if it's your mom, your dad, your kid, whatever, your job only allows for you to have a specific amount of time off before they expect you to be back. Yes. And and functional. Society, <laughs> and, right, and, and no adjustment to your performance or no. your productivity, no. right? There's a lack of sensitivity around the complexity of grief where, you know, we expect someone to, um, even the clinical diagnosis for grief, I think there's a time frame on it. Like, you you know, you should be grieving <laughs> for this amount of time, right. and then, um, then it turns into something else. And so the things that... Uh, you don't want to say, you know, to a grieving person about, you know? So things like, I know how you feel. Um, They're in a better place. It gets easier, Um, you know, at least. If there's ever a term, if you're putting at least in a statement to someone who's grieving, it's a bad idea. Um, You know, there's a lot of things to the point where I'm like, maybe everyone should just shut up. You know what I mean? I think so. And just say, like, I love you. You know, or, or I, I, I'm here, or just show up. I don't even know that asking someone what they need while they're grieving, because now we're forcing them to do the work of figuring out what they need while they're grieving. Like, it, it gets so deep. Um, it's tough. It's, and people are only doing what they know best. Oh, absolutely. No, absolutely. So that's why we, yeah, that's why we have to extend that compassion and that kindness to them. Um, and sometimes maybe it's that they're soothing something for themselves or within themselves, right, through us. Right. Um, but yeah, I think I'm convinced at this point that like we should just shut up while people are grieving and and just love, <laughs> <laughs> right. just, just love that I love you. I love you. I that's 
that's all I, I can say. Or just say, I'm at a loss. I don't know. I don't know what to say, but I care about you and I'm thinking about you. That's awesome. So how are marriages doing these days? I can't even imagine. You no, know, that's the only up part of my situation is I don't have to worry about getting along with someone else. How are people managing stuck in the house together for so long? You, I think it's going one of two ways. <laughs> <laughs> I think that for some people, um, for some people, it's a time to be able to reconnect and get to know each other depending on their situation and their ability to uh, manage conflict and, and the difficulties of marriage when there isn't anything going on. I mean, there's always something, but when there isn't like a global pandemic and like political unrest and all of these <laughs> other things. Um, and then there's the couples that are really struggling. You know, I was thinking about it the other day and I'm thinking like, what about long distance relationships? Oh, like, how do, you, how, do, how, do you, how do you have a long distance relationship in a pandemic if your partner's on the other side of the country or in another um, in another country? What about um, dealing with loss within your marriage? What if you, you know what I mean? That can be sure. something that's difficult to, to endure. Financial hardship is one of the, the greatest um, stressors for couples and obviously like we're dealing with a, an unstable economy so I think that everybody is experiencing uh, more cir- circumstances that are unfamiliar but to me more and more when I think about it this year has been a magnifying glass if you've ever been to a show and you see when the spotlight comes on that's what this year is so all the cracks that were there before Okay. Oh, they're visual now, look, huh? Look, the cracks that you can look over before that you're like, oh, I guess it's kind of man, whatever. We can pretend or we can ignore. We were oblivious, ignorant to this year is not playing games with anybody. <laughs> like, like a <laughs> unstructurally sound foundation. Right. This year is a spotlight. It is magnifying what was already there. So if there are, you know, conflicts and fights and whatever there was stuff that was already problematic before this that now has been amplified. So there was probably stuff that had to be dealt with anyway. So maybe now it's just time for you to, to shift your focus a little bit and spend some more time investigating and investing to see, you know, where you're at and where you want to go. I think that adversity can, can turn into purpose and can lead to a more satisfying life after the fact, you know? So, but it depends on the people in the situation and their willingness to be able to commit themselves to the process of making that the case. So I think that people are in two pools. Some people are swimming and some people are sinking, unfortunately. Hmm. Very little in between. Um, in your practice, do you have the opportunity to see children? Not at this point. I, I, I was working at a school where I worked with kids, but I wasn't the therapist I was there to just support and provide resources and things like that so I do see kids on a regular basis but not specifically for therapy I know what's going on with them though (laughs) yeah because I'm like really concerned about our young people I I can't imagine what this situation looks like through their lens and and what it's doing to their self-esteem and to their power to dream and hope yeah I think that in some ways, right, it's really difficult for kids, obviously, because if they can't, you know, hug people or they can't go outside or to um, community gatherings the way that they used to, um, 
or they're missing out on firsts, right? Like this might be the first year a kid would have gone to a pumpkin patch or a, um, you know, a Christmas light celebration or something like that, you know, Um, that they're, they're not having those experiences. But then when I think about how resilient children are and how easily they can bounce back and they can heal and they can evolve because they haven't been tainted like the rest of us <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, just yet, um, that I'm like, kids are resilient. They're going to be able to, to get through this stuff maybe better than us adults <laughs> um, <laughs> because we get stuck in our ways, you know what I mean? Right. Uh, so I, I kind of feel the same way is that like, yes, it is really tough. We're going through a lot of things. Kids are dealing with maybe um, uh, unsteady circumstances and instability in, in, in different forms, but they're also quite resilient. Um, and and then also, some of them, if a kid was not in kindergarten, they were never in school before, and now they're doing kindergarten, you know, they're just starting school and school is virtual or school is hybrid, this is all they know right now. So they don't have a frame of reference to say, oh, life used to be like X. And now it's like, why? All right. it is is this. So I think in some ways they are better off because they're not comparing like, oh, well, I'm just hanging out with my friends because if it wasn't in school to have had the experience of playing on the playground or whatever. So maybe for them it's going to get better because the world is going to, at some point, you know, shift and evolve. And then they are going to be able to do all those other things. And they're going to be like, what? I get to play outside. I get to hang out with kids. Or, and then we're going to have to deal with some other stuff. We might have to deal with, like, <laughs> some some anxiety around maybe germophobia or separation anxiety. <laughs> um, if you got used to being around your family all the time. But I don't know. I, I, the my, my verdict is still out on how that's going. But that's very bright and hopeful outlook. That, that's very insightful. Um, thanks for sharing that, actually. Let's talk about finances, because right now, as you know, there are a lot of people that are coming, becoming unable to pay their rent, their mortgage, their car note, their utilities, their credit cards, their kids' tuition, and even putting food on the table. What in the world do we do with that? I mean, how do people cope with that? That's one thing. The other thing is that I know that you have some sort of a program that I need you to explain uh, to our audience that will help all of us get control of our finances because I know for me personally, I have transferred the joy of eating out to the joy of ordering online. So, so, So I too need some help with that. Talk to me. Okay. Well, that's... The whole mental health and money process for me kind of came first personally uh, in my own journey of being a hot mess. So um, I'm a therapist, but I'm still human. I got (laughs) divorced while I was in grad school um, to be a marriage and family therapist. So that came with all kinds of fun guilt and shame and embarrassment, right? And then my dad passed away a few months after my divorce. So in the same year, I had those losses, and I was still in school, and that's when, you know, things kind of, in some ways, spiraled financially, right? Because I transferred, or I I allowed my grief to turn into, you know, the eating out or neglecting my self-care, not being, not paying attention to what I was doing or mindful of my spending. And so 2000. 
16, 17 is where I kind of came to from what I call the grief storm. Um, and I looked up and I'm like, ooh, oh, how did we get here? <laughs> um, and, and my cousin in 2016 gave me a book for Christmas called The Smart Money Woman. And in it, it asked you to calculate your net worth at, at the end of one of the chapters. I was like, oh, okay, like Beyonce has a net worth. I mean, I'm sure like Shaq has a net worth, but I have one of those things. So we never really look at everything together, I don't think, to understand kind of like where we really are. And that was a sobering experience for me. Um, and so then I kind of got on my own personal finance journey to, to make the decision uh, to get myself together in that area. Um, and that was 2017. And so then in three years, I was able to pay off over $90,000 in student loan and credit card debt wow. uh, because of intense focus and you know spiritual alignment. And what I didn't recognize was that I was preparing myself for this pandemic because I finished paying off my student loans in May of this year before my, my birthday. And what I feel like we have to recognize is that one, we don't have, we're not immortal, right? I call it a mortality reality check. So I like we don't that. have a lot of time, like you mentioned, you know? Um, and we have to think about in the best version of our lives, what do things look like? Now, there's a gap between where you are and that life that you see in your mind. But on a daily basis, what little things can you do to help you make progress toward that place? And I think that with our money, we there are things that are out of control in our lives, inevitably, right? But there are places in our life that we can have influence and control. And it is our job, I think, to, to do our best to gain control over those places. However, it's really tough, <laughs> especially with money, because there's a lot of embarrassment and shame that comes along with money. There's a lot of financial trauma, that, that word I learned this year, and we never talked about money when I was in school learning how to help people with their lives. But every single one of my clients, except for one who was financially stable, has brought money up as a major stressor. It's one of the main reasons that relationships fall apart and people get divorced. So how is it that we're ignoring this huge piece to the puzzle? Um, and so to me, what I recognize is financial plans are easy. You know what I mean? Sure. Like The plan of what you're supposed to do with money to excel is very simple. It's clearly laid out. You have options even if you don't like a specific um, pathway to financial success. However, it's the psychological and behavioral components that make it challenging. So discipline, self-control, trauma, grief and loss um, turn into emotional eating, emotional spending, um, spiraling, avoidance, and then, you know, essentially, right, turns into um, financial hardship and, and whatnot. So my program, um, the main course that I have is called Ditch the Debt and Follow Your Dreams. And right now, to prepare for that, because there's so much around money, I'm doing a win with money series where we talk about these behavioral and psychological um, aspects that get in the way of, of you winning with money, essentially, right? Because in order to do so, we then have to address what's beneath the spending. Is it, right. is it lost? Am I sad? Uh, do I, do I, am I not living or working toward the dream life? 
that I see in my mind and that pain forces me to self-medicate. I think there's a lot of escapism through money. Um, and what we have to do is, is get brave to start addressing what lies beneath the symptom, which is the money and the spending or the lack thereof, you know? Um, and that's hard because dang it, we have to start doing some work and why not just keep ignoring, <laughs> right, keep ignoring right. the, the pain. I think not only is your program uh, wonderful, and I want to uh, get all of the links um, to everything connected to you to share with the audience, because we have a uh, a web page, well, it's really a group page on Facebook entitled Up is Higher Than Down, which gives me the latitude to share all the information that um, people can reach out to you. Um, you also do an online practice, is that is that correct? Yes, I do work with um, clients online coaching and counseling. I've always enjoyed talking with you. I remember um, sharing time with you um, when you were uh, just beginning your journey at UNLV. And um, I've watched you through the years and I think, wow, this you're just amazing. Well, real recognizes real. Ah. I appreciate you and, you know, it's crazy how time flies, um, you know, and it's just a blessing to be able to be connected to other people. Um, yeah, the only thing I would say is, you know, you're not alone. And while things are tough, uh, if you're waking up every day, you're getting woken up to to be here, whatever that means. It doesn't mean to perform or to, to show up, but it just means to be here um, and, and know that somebody somewhere is thinking of you if nothing else if you're listening to this la and i are thinking of you yes. and um you know if you want to stay connected how me. many times have you heard a podcast and so many thoughts and questions come to your mind later sometimes we're busy we're preoccupied when the podcast is playing and later you think i wish i had said or i should have asked well now you can join us on facebook up is higher than down for the after effect a podcast recap with tanika morley known as 10 share your thoughts ask questions can't wait to hear from you thanks listen to up is higher than down with la walker to follow up make comments discuss today's podcast or find out how you can become a guest and share your victory over a negative life event follow la walker up is higher than down on facebook look up get up stay up remember any part of up is higher than down